Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, uh, sports nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, and this is Phil Stevens. I run strength field. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, and just uh, try to pick up heavy things often. Nice. Uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I'm a faculty member at the Kerrig Institute, owner of Extreme Human Performance, creator of the Flex Diet Certification, which will be going live again in a few weeks. And I'm actually at home, but I'll be leaving again on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> home is it's you're like the reverse of everybody else like home is the visit <laughs> yeah yeah i'll be gone for about a month some kiteboarding presenting at paleo effects visiting some people in dallas visiting family in oklahoma city and then presenting again at the fitness summit the first weekend in may and then we'll be back home for about eight days Woo-hoo. yeah yeah all right um I have one bit of uh, news. I know Mike has something. Um, we're just kind of – Phil's been browsing the Facebook page. We're just going to have sort of informal gym talk episode as well after the break. We're just going to talk about – I suppose we could call them operational definitions. I'm just going to toss out some words, and we'll see how everybody defines them. Uh, words that you commonly hear in the gym, but, you know, how does Phil or Mike define these? So – I digress. Let's do the first news bit here. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Um, the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Uh, I was I was disappointed when they dropped some of their free online diet analysis tools last August. I think it was they just pulled it out from under me, and because I use this as a free diet analysis tool, my classes and it was the um, SuperTracker.gov and all this. They got rid of it. And left us high and dry. And I didn't know if this was just sort of, um, at the time, you know, like re- Republican political control trying to, you know, shrink down government a little bit. And, hey, we don't really need some of these things. And I wasn't sure where it was coming from. But the USDA just launched a new nutrient database. And that's what this little oh. clip is about. It says the U.S. Department of Agriculture's uh, Agricultural Research Service, right? Uh, has released an integrated food and nutrient data system that provides online access to nutrient profile info for a wide variety of foods and food products. The system, and here it is, everybody, you could Google this, known as Food Data Central. Food data, all one word, central. Should prove to be an essential resource for researchers, nutrition professionals, healthcare providers, product developers, policymakers, and consumers. So it'll be managed by the USDA and the ARS, right, Agricultural Research Service. Uh, it says it contains five distinct types of food and nutrient composition data. Uh, I've been browsing around just a little on this site. So you could get, like, every imaginable nutrient, um, let's say, in egg whites, you know, things like that. You could do it food by food. There is a frequently asked questions portion 
but I have not played with this much. I was just made aware of this this week. Uh, I'm glad that we have a resource like this again. It looks like there's even phytochemicals and stuff, right? Which is that's been difficult to find in the nice. past. You know, like uh, how much resveratrol is in my peanuts? You know, something like that. Um, it says the new system is designed to strengthen the capacity for research and policy applications through its search capabilities, downloadable data sets, and detailed documentation. Uh, app developers will be able to incorporate the information into their apps and websites. So I think they're trying to leverage, I don't know if I would call mm-hmm. blogs and websites, social media, but you get the idea. So there was a press release I won't bore everybody with, but uh, I would appreciate, let's crowdsource this a little, right? Um, if listeners, go check out Food Data Central and then fire us an email and tell us what you think. Uh, I wasn't able to play with it long enough to see if I could create detailed nutrient profiles from, let's say, a three-day food record. I'm assuming you can do that there. Uh, I was just looking at more individual stuff in my initial browsing. But, yeah, please, listeners, get, give it a shot. Go go check out Food Data Central and tell us uh, if it's useful and if you can get whole diets, right, get the nutrient profile across a, a three- or four-day diet. That's really what I'm ultimately looking for. So we'll see if this new database is, is as cool as it appear, appears. So. Yeah, that's cool. And one other tip, too, is that I switched to using uh, chronometer probably about a year ago now, and a tip from uh, Dr. Ben House. And you do have to pay for the – you can get a free account, but if you're running clients through, you do have to pay. But the nice part is that it is verified via the USDA, and it will tell you what source they actually verified it from. And it does a little bit of <clears throat> micronutrient analysis, just some real basic, you know, compared to RDA, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I found it's been uh, super useful because my fitness pal, everyone and their brothers started creating foods on there, and it got to be just a nightmare of trying to sort out, did they pick the right one, did they not pick the right one? And I was spending more time looking at what thing they actually picked for my fitness pal to represent like a freaking chicken breast than I was actually doing anything else. So. Yeah. Yeah, when they pulled uh, supertracker.gov, yeah. they, they, they had a really kind of cur, uh, terse little statement at the bottom of the page that said, um, essentially, we're just going to rely on private sources to handle these these needs. Yeah. You know, And I thought, well, great, because like you said, then w- consider the source. Like who's entering right. these custom foods? Are they right. bozos? You know? Uh, and how do they manage that? So I, I, I'm sure that there are some corporations and private groups that would, you know, somehow filter and manage that, edit it, you know, curate it pretty well. But then there are others that may not. And, and when I thought my fitness pal has become our default, I actually used that in for a class project. Oh, yeah. Just kind of I with the caveat, too. right? The disclaimer to the kids. Like, hey, it's private source. I don't know. You know, this doesn't quite carry the same air of legitimacy as the the USDA data sets. But anyway, maybe we won't have to keep doing that. So maybe Food Data Central will be um, the answer. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, um, Mike, you had something. Yeah, so it was my uh, <clears throat> rabbit-holing time of studies the other day. Uh, one thing that's been interesting, we've talked about this on the show before, is the use of beta-2 agonist in terms of strength and hypertrophy. Obviously, the drug clenbuterol is one of them, which has been used kind of in bodybuilding circles for quite a while, but not a ton of human data on that. Some pretty impressive animal data and possibly questionable cardiac side effects and things of that nature. But 
Um, in terms of other drugs, there's a study here. This is from October 28, 2018, a Scandinavian Journal of Medicine, Science, Sports. Uh, hypertrophic effects of inhaled beta-2 agonists with and without concurrent exercise training, randomized controlled trial. So with this one, what was interesting is they used, um, basically it's an inhaled version. So a lot of times you'll find athletes can get an exception to use inhaled beta-2 agonists for uh, exercise-induced asthma, bronchospasms, things of that nature. And so this one, they used the one uh, terbutaline. And what they found was they took 67 participants, completed a four-week uh, intervention, and they did use uh, daily terbutaline uh, eight times at 0.5 milligram. So definitely on the higher side, but not anything that's, you know, crazy astronomical, you know, potentially could be used. Uh, they did do a placebo, and they did it with resistance or endurance training three times a week. And they looked at DEXA, resting metabolic rate, substrate use, a whole bunch of other stuff. But what they did find is that over the course of the study, which, again, is a pretty short uh, study, four weeks, uh, did increase lean body mass by one kilogram, uh, which, again, not huge, but 2.2 pounds over the course of four weeks. So that's you know, pretty good yeah, four weeks. Uh, compared to placebo. And... Let's see. No effect uh, in the endurance group, though. There's another study I found that, that showed no effect on endurance either. And resting metabolic rate actually did not change either, which I thought was interesting. I would have expected that maybe to go up a little bit. Totally. Um, but their conclusion here was that daily inhalation of tetrabutylene and near therapeutic dose does induce uh, skeletal muscle growth. And they also then cite, of course, this observation should be a concern for anti-doping authorities. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> so if you see a bunch of people in the Olympic Games, or I've noticed this in some, we'll say, uh, I won't name any names, certain hockey teams. Uh, about three four years ago, I noticed them like, everyone seems to have an albuterol inhaler. Hmm. Mm-hmm. These are pretty high-level athletes. So do they all have, you know, bronchial spasms, exercise-induced asthma? But, yeah, so maybe there's something to it. Interesting. I had heard yeah. years ago, I don't remember the percentage, it was really high. Something like a quarter or a third of all Olympic athletes were yeah. reportedly <laughs> asthmatic. That's extremely yes. unlikely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Now, Mike, this this selective beta two agonist here. Um, I'm going to guess this is a schedule one drug like clenbuterol. Then, or do you know? No, this is one that's actually used, as far as I'm aware, over the counter um, to actually uh, for treatment. Okay. So it is available. I know albuterol was kind of the other one that's that's used a lot. Yeah, and yeah. that's kind of why the studies they found were were kind of looking at it because it you know clenbuterol was never really approved for any real use in the U.S. Right. Other countries it was. Yeah, uh, this one, as far as I'm aware, is actually used as a legitimate treatment also. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, you can apply. Last I best I could figure out uh, to get a medical exception. Uh, from WADA, I believe, to use that. Now, there's some other literature stating that they were trying very hard to change that, so I don't know what the final status on that actually was. Um, but that's what I thought was even more interesting, because it was something that is available on the market, albeit with a prescription. Yeah, I wonder how... Because, you know, 
salbutamol, albuterol, a lot of the things that yeah. we have here in the States weren't nearly as exciting from a physique perspective. Mm-hmm. I know that's not what they're yeah. for as Clen, right? Um, because, like you said, Clen's not the asthma drug of choice and available for that here in the States in the same way. Um, but what yeah. about the well, dosing? oral, too. Oh, this well, is yeah. 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 Syrups or pills or stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um I, now, we, we were talking about this just a minute ago off air, but my understanding was that human beings can't consume enough of these selective beta-2 agonists to actually get hypertrophy. So this is the first time I've heard of that. I mean, even clenbuterol, it was used for strength. It was used for leanness, right? But right. but not large muscle mass. Is this the mm-hmm. first time you've heard of the muscle mass thing with a beta-2 adrenaline agonist? Yeah, so that was also what caught my attention because the studies I've seen in the past exactly kind of matched what you were saying, at least in humans. Um, so I did pull some other literature there too. So here's another one, effective inhaled terbutaline on substrate utilization and 300-calorie 300, 300 time trial performance. Um, so from a time trial performance, it actually did not appear to increase performance. Um, but what they did find is it did increase carbohydrate metabolism in skeletal muscle and some of the intermediates involved in that process. So, which is kind of what you would expect, right? It's going to probably shift you more to that carbohydrate end of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. I want to say I had one other study, maybe I can't find it right now. They looked at an oral dose compared to an inhaled dose, and I can't remember what they found with that. Um, but yeah, I thought it was interesting that the inhaled version is what they tested and did find that it, uh, did increase it, which, you know, like you said, clenbuterol is normally not as an inhaled agent and the toxicity of that builds up pretty fast, right? So your body builds up a tolerance to it incredibly fast, normally used in uh, bodybuilding as more of a cutting type drug than it is to use for muscle per se. But I've heard of, uh, We'll say various individuals using it in more uh, females for other purposes, which, again, we would not recommend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually curious, Phil. Do, do power lifters, because of the strength augmenting effects that something like clenbuterol has, does that get any use in power lifting? I mean, bodybuilders use it for leanness, right? But there seems yeah. to be a strength thing. Yeah, I haven't heard, heard much about it at all. I've heard a few people like I was really able to keep strength with, with clen. Yeah, but it's not that big of a deal. Not with other things out there, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. if the, if you're gonna go down that rabbit hole, usually you're gonna go down another one. So <laughs> there's other things that are vastly more effective. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So yeah, I remember years ago, um, uh, there was a, a female at my gym. Oh God, this was decades ago, um, and she was talking about clenbuterol use, and I remember she could. She could bench 135, in, like, baseline. And, like, a month later, I was watching her rep with 185 in the bench press. And I'm yeah. thinking, wow. Like, it, yeah. obviously, she and she's getting very lean. So I wasn't doubting that she was telling the truth about what she was on, you know. But I, I yeah. was really stunned at the strength thing. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, because it's not like it was wildly hypertrophic. It was just... Mm-hmm. Her existing muscle mass seems to be functioning better. Very much stronger. Yeah. yeah. And you've got thick weight class sports. I mean, that could be quite the magic yeah. bullet. I mean, I know people downregulate aggressively over just a couple of weeks. You know, they lose some of the effect. But anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I did pull up one other one here, too. So the effects of acute and two-week administration of oral uh, salbutamol, it's a different compound, this is orally, on exercise performance and muscular strength in athletes. Uh, so they did a whole bunch of stuff here. Only got a two-week ad, uh, administration, 20 males, pretty elite, uh, VO2 max, right around 70. So that's pretty good for getting them into a study. Yeah. Uh, two-week administration, 8 milligrams or placebo. Uh, did a whole bunch of uh, testing. They did see the two-week administration did increase peak power during the first and second Wingate test. So it looks like they did repeated Wingates here. Um, but did not have any effect on uh, max muscle uh, contraction or exercise performance at 110% of VO2 max or isometric endurance exercise. Um, that's kind of what I've seen from some of the other ones, that the oral versions, at least in the literature, don't seem to have a massive effect. And again, that may get into the pharmacokinetics and tissue saturation and peak blood levels and all that kind of stuff. Right, yeah. Anything happening on Facebook, Phil? Yeah, I got one that I think you'd be interested in. I don't know if you saw it yet. Um, somebody posted a little while ago. Have you heard of Vasipa? So no. it's a new drug by the FDA. So basically it's a drug because it's FDA approved, but it is just EPA. It is 100% EPA. So every pill is one gram of pure EPA. Uh, and they're using this to lower uh, cholesterol levels. So basically they came out and they're like, yeah, fish oils are great, but it's only 18% DHA and 12% EPA or 18, uh, vice versa. Right, yeah. And uh, so they, they've they pretty much made an ethyl ester of EPA. That's and, exactly uh, what it is, yeah. Yeah, so an ethyl ester of EPA and put it in a pill, and now they're prescribing it. So as a, uh, a non-statin prescription drug. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Was that for triglycerides, I'm assuming, correct? Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah just triglyceride levels. Yep. Yeah. Without increasing your LDL. So, thought that was quite interesting to see come out. It's prescription only. Well, so. see, uh, Mike, you and I, we, I think we saw the behind the scenes development of that when we were in Spain. Do you oh, remember? Yeah. yeah Those pharmaceutical before. guys were they were bending over backwards to make different esters or different isoforms mm -hmm. of these fatty acids, mm -hmm. um, with the intent of selling them like a drug. Yep. And that's yeah. what they've done. Yeah, because uh, the original name Omicor was a mixed version of that. So 900 milligrams of ethyl esters of EPA and DHA, mm -hmm. um, which the FDA approved. I believe they changed the name later. I'm blanking on what the new name is. Yeah, was. there's another one. It's uh, right here. I was just looking at it. Um, it starts with an L. Yeah. But it was it was a mix. Yeah. Um, and it was super effective on triglycerides. But I, like you said, Lonnie, yeah. it, it's amazing to me that that – is kind of allowed as a drug. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, what we saw was it looked like it wasn't, it really wasn't obviously superior to just consuming EPA, you know, or no, DHA. Unless you have at digestion the time. issues, yeah. And mm -hmm. it's like, well, if I'm going to pay for a doctor's visit in a prescription, whatever they do to it, they better really multiply its effectiveness in some way, or I'm just going to mm -hmm. go take my fish oils. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. That's well, and the only thing they're getting at here is like you'll have to take twenty pills to get the uh, the yeah. same dose as you do for yeah. taking four. Yeah. So they're just arguing the efficacy thing, and they point <laughs> to literature, which there is literature showing that compliance in older people of taking drugs is very low, which mm -hmm. that's true. Mm -hmm. um, but it 
Yeah. I mean, the same thing, Epidiolex was approved, which is, you know, basically a, a cannabinoid that they now use CBD as a drug. And you can buy CBD currently as a supplement also. And it, there's not a lot of difference between them. So yeah. I don't know. That always makes me a little a little nervous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'd be nice if it was over the counter. You know, just go pick it yeah. up. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I think people would pay a little bit more than your average fish oil because you're yeah. getting 100% of what you're looking for. I mean, yeah. But if you make a supplement and you start ethyl modification on it, then the FDA or the regulatory bodies can argue that that's not something found in nature. So under Deshea, yeah. it's an illegal yeah. drug, mm-hmm. which is a very interesting area. Like creatine ethyl ester, it basically got pulled from the market because it was not very efficacious. But I don't even think you could even try to get that approved now. Even some of the nitrate products they've had have been very much considered a gray area because you've mm-hmm. dramatically modified the compound. So, yeah, so far removed from the natural state. So right, right. And you yeah. have to point to a place where it was found in nature, and you've got the whole DMMA thing that that was made illegal because it was probably never really a natural source of it. And yeah, that should be illegal then. I'm so far removed from my natural state <laughs> with all my yep, and everything. Hips. Yep, illegal <laughs> hips and tendons. Oh, and it's such a loaded word. Maybe we should revisit that whole term. The whole idea of like natural bodybuilding is really quite the farce, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, even to the point of some of the not just uh, supplement or, or drug ergogenic aids, but even mechanical ones and performance ones. You know, all, a lot of the stuff we're doing that assist us in different ways and you know, like what is natural, you know? And then the flip side of that is I've, I've heard philosophers say, well, natural is really any interaction between man and and the physical world. And and if if the definition is that broad, then it's all natural. Um, I think what they really should just be saying is legal. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And that's even weirder thing too, because, you know, other shows that are not drug tested, technically the drugs they are using are not, Legal either. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you've got like this polar extremes from one end to the next and a just a whole mixed gray area in between and you know, yeah, you, you have veteran and drugs like that for natural competitors, but you know, same thing with the IOC level. Like these are okay, these are not. Here's our oh, line. Yeah. That's uh you know? yeah, well I mean look at that. Look at like NCAA. You yeah. have oh, you have things that are illegal that are actually legal. Yeah, <laughs> don't give and them too much go, protein. Oh, right. go the protein. other route. Yeah, you go the other route, and you get into bodybuilding and powerlifting, and you have essentially drugs that could send you to jail to prison. Right, that are legal within that realm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you had one too many coffees at Dunkin' Donuts. You can't run today, kid. Your caffeine level's too high. Yeah. Ah. And caffeine used to be very much uh, on a banned substance by the IOC, and they've lightened up on that, but, yeah. Right. Okay. Well, let's go to break. We're about halfway in already, and we will then come back. We're just going to have a gym talk episode, everybody, uh, and just offer some definitions of common gym terms, uh, at least from our perspective. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, 
all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit uh, royalty on the book. But that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everybody, we're back. Uh, we're going to put Phil and Mike on the spot a little bit with some definitions, operational definitions uh, with common gym terms. Um, this first one, uh, Phil was just mentioning off air, is sort of a tough one. It's got some caveats to it. Uh, Phil, can you define strong? Yeah. Again, like I said, that one has changed so much over recently in a fast amount of time. Um, I talk about this often with with people, other powerlifters that have been in the game like I have. Like numerous years ago when I was first pulling 700, that was strong. That was like really strong. Mm -hmm. And now everybody and their grandma's pulling seven. You know, you got 148-pound <laughs> guys pulling seven. It's like that's that's when you begin to get strong. You know, that's now the, the baseline. And same thing with, with, with women. When we first started, like the goal for our women was 315 on a squat and, and a deadlift. And now that's, okay, now you're starting to get there. Now let's really start working. Wow. So, I mean, it's, it's changed in such a short amount of time. Uh, so that's, that's hard, to, hard to put a number on it. And that's like I still catch crap from that episode probably eight years ago where I said every grown-ass man should be able to deadlift 405. Right. And it's like, <laughs> I got girls doing that. So, <laughs> you know, oh, boy. It's like, come on. And I got young kids right. you know, coming in. And it, so I still catch crap for that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, strong. Like I said, I think for a guy now, I mean, for squat and, and deadlift, it's like starting at seven, not regardless of body weight, 
but I mean, that's, I'm still in that age of, I was in the wonderful age of powerlifting where like now Wilkes means something. It didn't used to, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, not so much. It used to be who's got the biggest fucking total. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it was just literally who's the strongest. Like even Ed talks about that. He's like, no, I wasn't the best. There were people stronger than me. Uh, there were people bigger than him that were stronger than him, of course. But uh, yeah, uh, that's kind of how it used to be. And now it's everything's about Wilkes. Like, what's your Wilkes number? I don't even know what mine is. You know? Interesting. Yeah. And uh, so it's kind of being defined by Wilkes now um, and things like that. But uh, I don't know, three times bodyweight squats and three times bodyweight deadlifts coming, just falling all over the place. So that's I got amazing. a kid that went into school the other day. He's 198 and squatted 600 at, eight, at 18. 18? Yeah. Damn. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's crazy what these kids are doing. And I can, and everybody's going to ask, I can attest, the kid's not on anything. He's just a freak. And raw, uh, right? <laughs> and it was raw. So, yeah, and it was, yeah, he was in a pair of knee sleeves on a belt. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, yeah, it's just, I think people are tapping into, especially the women, they're realizing what they can do. And it's once those things are defined, and we've talked about this before, it's like once one person does it, more people start to do it quickly because they realize it's it's no longer not able to be done. So it's not a doubt in your head. Well, if he can do it, I can do it. You know, right? Before there was a mental block of no one can do that. You know, and that's once that's passed, it's like okay, here they come. And now, like I said, everybody and their grandma's getting strong. But right. I mean, but then again, we're in a very I live in the in a bubble. So if you start talking, average person. You know, versus lifter, you know, four hundred five is still pretty strong on, yeah. on death. So that's interesting you know I mean? that you say that, Phil, because I mean, at, at there's some powerlifters in my gym, but I mean, the gym is called Bodybuilders, you know. Yeah. And to me, a lot of the local bodybuilding gyms around here, there's a there's a couple of them. Uh, to me, there you could count on one hand the number of people who can legitimately bench three fifteen or squat four hundred five. You know, yeah. so as sort of oh, a rule sure. of thumb, I consider that pretty damn strong. Yeah. You know, uh, exactly. I, and I think yeah. by and that's the thing. I live in this weird strength bubble, and that's what I try to explain to my clients that are like, "Well, you know, she's squatting four hundred five, and I'm only squatting three hundred. That's still freaking strong. You're a hundred forty eight pound girl. You're squatting yeah. three hundred pounds. Right. <laughs> you know? I mean, compare it to norms. Like you're you're yes. in like the ninety fifth percentile. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Like and that. it's you know we live in and now with Instagram being so big and social mm-hmm. media, you get in this bubble that's not real because you follow two thousand people that can do this. Right. The other three hundred fifty mm-hmm. billion people in the world can't do that. Yeah, you know what, Phil, I, just so. the other day I was talking, now this was about, um, we were talking about Wingate sprints, you know, power output and bike sprint, mm-hmm. and a lot of the students, you know, they were feeling pretty good about their, their wattage numbers, and, and I said, well, you're comparing those to the gen pop norms, go down yeah. to the lab, I posted in a plastic sleeve the norms for pro uh, rugby players, and it humbled oh, them all, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, now they're like, oh, I, maybe I'm not that much, I'm a badass compared to the you know, the average American, but compared to these beasts, I'm, I'm now, you know, eating humble pie, you know? Yeah. But then at the flip side of the coin, now the gen prop is probably in the saddest condition it's ever been. So it's like, who wants to measure, who wants that to be their measuring stick? Right. Yeah. A lot better than them. Yeah. So, but those norms, uh, population norms and those percentiles, that's what we teach in the classroom, you know, uh in our sort of lower level classes. Um, Yeah. 
Um, Mike, what about you? I mean, this is just out of your gut, right? I should make another disclaimer. This is this is opinions, you guys. If you want evidence based, turn us off now. (laughs) 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 Uh, This is Jim talk. Jim talk from all right. So, Mike, what's strong to you? Yeah, I mean, I think like Phil, it depends upon. At first, I would look at the context, right? Are you trying to be a lifter, right? Then we've got you know different weight classes, and we've got all the data you can compare yourself against whatever federation take your pick um i mean i would say as someone who travels a lot and goes to a lot of different gyms just being on the road man if you're in a normal gym and these are people who exercise so they're a little bit above general population who don't exercise if you even see someone doing a squat or a deadlift that looks halfway decent that's impressive <laughs> you know? i mean it, in terms of weight i mean it I mean, how often have I rarely seen anyone pull over 315 in a normal gym? I mean, if you're pulling 400, that's kind of freakish for a normal gym. Although I agree with Phil that if you're a guy, you you know, it, with training, that's not going to happen overnight. But I think most guys should be able to pull 400. I think that's definitely a, a doable number that would make you strong compared to the average person. Mm-hmm. Um, I do kind of like the standard just off of the back of the envelope of, you know, deadlift 400, squat 300, you know, bench 225, strict press 135, right? The one, two, three, and four plates type thing. Right, yeah. I think for most people as a good intro to start, I think that's that's a good good place. And compared to most gyms, I would say you're probably going to be ahead of most of the people there. And even if you look at just exercises that people do in a, a standard gym, like a dumbbell bench press, you know, I would say by powerlifting standards, it's not strong at all, but there's not even a lot of people using 85, 90, 100 pound dumbbells. You know, I mean, it's, so again, I think it depends upon where you're, where you're at and kind of what you're comparing yourself to. That's a good point. I, I, I had a student yesterday tell me that Planet Fatness, they, their dumbbells only go up to 75. Like, yeah. that's not adequate. And I mean, I'm yeah. not competitive in any way, but that's not going to work. So, I mean, they must think that that's, that's going to cover 98% of their population. You know what I mean? Like, that's a, oh, that's yeah. a big dumbbell, yeah. I guess. God forbid you go to a, a normal hotel gym. Like, if I find a dumbbell over 50 pounds in a hotel gym, I'm stoked. <laughs> that's, that's Mike the Traveler talking right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's why I carry <clears throat> Fat Grips, and I even carry the Fat Grips Extreme, right? So you put them on the dumbbell, and now you took a dumbbell that has about a, a one-inch center, and it's three inches now. And that makes it much, much harder. But it's a way to make it, you know, more challenging, more specific for my goals and to use a sometimes you're just stuck with, you know, lighter weights. But again, that gets into specificity. Right. Yeah. Whole new ball game when your hand is barely closed around the grip. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even the fat grips two inch on a normal dumbbell make you can't even touch the other side. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's a good idea. That's a practical tip listeners should pick up on. Right. If you travel, do what Mike does. That's a good idea. Yeah, and it normally those types of things also have a big transfer when you come back, right? It's one thing to make an exercise harder, but just making it harder. But I find that that crushing uh, grip strength transfers very well once you get back to. Right on. Uh, we are never going to get through this the whole list that I was texting no. around this morning, but <laughs> <laughs> because you guys have good insights on this stuff. All right, Phil, uh, this is one I, I thought about your uh, the your club and you know the weightlifting group that you work with, and what about over fat. I don't mean a little fluffy, but when do you say, <laughs> dude, you're over fat? 
Yeah. What do you think? I talk. I tell people that all the time at the gym, but I'm always screwing with them. Um, <laughs> you know, but, but how much is too much, oh, right? You know? Uh, you know, really it comes down to uh, what you can do versus how big you are. You know, okay. because somebody like Brian or JP squatting 900 or 1,000 at 360, you know, the average population is say they're fat, but I'm saying they have the body they need to to do that job. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, now if I got to do this 350, well, here we go. I got a kid, a new kid that's, uh, he's about 6'4", 370, and 295 squat was not, it was crushing. Um, okay. Okay. 17-year-old kid. Yeah. So, uh, he's over fat for what he can do. You know, so our goal for him, he's a he does a good job taking up space on the football line. Uh, but that's what <laughs> we need to get him to do more than take up space. Meat wall. So we can, yeah. yeah, we can fix that though by not even dropping much weight by just making him stronger. So uh, it depends on it depends on like anything in the fitness world. It's uh, functional. It right. depends on what your job is. You know what you're trying to do. Like he needs to be a big boy. He needs to be huge because his job is to block other large mammals from killing the quarterback behind him. So, <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So I mean, but if you're just uh, you're just weak and sloppy, I mean, you know the difference, Lonnie. I mean, when you go up somebody like you see somebody like like Brian, and you know if you touch them, it's going to be hard. It's a different kind of. Whereas you know, you go up and touch somebody else, and they jiggle like a bowl of jello. You know, that's yeah. over fat. <laughs> Touch them and they're just they're just a mass. Oh yeah, like know? power belly. You know, yeah. the power belly is in my mind a positive, right? As opposed <laughs> yeah. to like Arnold would say, if it jiggles, it's just fat. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I mean that that'd be the thing. I mean, I have some. You know, I work with some some populations. They'll even say they're over fat. And I'm old and been in this game long enough. I'll tell them, dude, you're fat. We need to lose yeah. weight. So and it's it's not like a personal shaming attack. If you, it, no. That's why I tend to say you're. I don't say you're fat. I say you're over fat. You have too much fat mass. I mean that's pretty neutral. You know, um, it's a judgment, yeah, but it's not meant to be shaming in any way. Yeah, but now, and then I mean, you, I was but, just going to say you start getting into the clinical definition, and I'm over fat. You know, yeah, as far as yeah. even health wise, mm-hmm. I'm not lying to myself that it's healthy to be. You know, my baseline now is 260 when I'm not training for meat. Mm-hmm. Is that is that helping my long term lifespan? Probably not. No, right. <laughs> you know, no. by just being that big. Yeah. So okay, uh, depends on what you're looking for, and that's where again we we come back to context. So okay. Now I, I was just about to mention you said the term. So before I ask Mike about the overfatness, define large mammal because you use that word. To <laughs> you, what's a what's a truly a large mammal? That's- Oh, like I would. If I'm, I'm gonna reserve that term for like really big people. Like one of the first large mammals I remember meeting was Cass. He's just oh, big. He's just huge. He's just massive. Yeah. You know, nobody's denying you look that. At him, <laughs> no, you look at him still now at his age, and it's like yeah. he's big. Um, and then like somebody like Hathor, he just needs a new new category. Cause <laughs> yeah, him and Shark. I was like other mammals. Oh, but that was. T- I mean, like like this year at the Arnold, I was privileged to be like 12 inches away from those two guys and like Shaw is huge but Hathor Hathor makes all those other guys look small yeah how big he is it's like he is in this whole other realm of bigness so but yeah when I'm saying large mammal I'm talking like really large people I mean just you know big 
Like other you have world. to cut down to close to 400 to cut weight for a competition. Yeah. You're big. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, just like otherworldly. Like Brian. Brian has legs the size of most grown-ass men's waists. 36-inch legs or 38 now. Jesus. You know, that's a large mammal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so what about – um? I don't want to put you on the spot, but what about like Eddie Cohn? Um, obviously oh, huge, yeah. but in in a very in a different way than I think you're talking. Yeah, about. no, and that comes back. Yeah, so he's a different size. But yeah, I'd say he's a large male. And it comes back to we were talking about this the other day. Somebody was asking me, "What does it take to be a? How do you know like a good powerlifter?" And it's their back. It really is. If their back just looks imposing, they've yeah. just got big, thick lats and traps and. Uh, there's there's a lot of meat back there that you don't see on the average person. Like I've seen some fairly strong people that are that, that aren't that way. But then you you start getting into the elite. I've never met an elite strength athlete that did just didn't just have a huge impressive back. So and that's that comes back to looking like I mean we were at the Omaha gym, uh, Zoo not too long ago and you look like the back of a sil- a silverback gorilla totally. and it's just oh totally. it's the same thing. Like, don't piss that thing off. Yeah. <laughs> you can see the power. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's interesting that you say that because, uh, to me, I've, I've actually heard you can always tell a bodybuilder by his back at the national level, I would argue, mm-hmm. right? Below the national level, you get some of these guys that have more of these, like, uh, coat hanger physiques. They might be a little wide, but they're not real deep. But at the yeah. national level, these guys have ridiculous backs. Their traps and their lats are just so meaty. You know, just yeah. like they're along their spine. If you put your fingertips on their spine, it would go all the way up to your, you know, mid hand, you know, yeah. Yeah. kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Just that thickness from the side. I mean, I remember sitting next to Ben Pakulski at a conference five years ago when he was competing. And I was sitting next to him and I completely, utterly disappeared. You could have put like two people stacked next to him. Like he was just, not only was he big, he was just that wide, yeah. that thick. Yeah, Mike Francois was at his peak. He was at a yeah. I was at a show and he walked down the aisle and he does he didn't even you couldn't even comprehend it. It's hard to explain it with words. Like he took up the entire aisle in this, you know, uh theater venue uh, and his, it was his back that immediately uh, it almost just you almost just had to sit down and just stay away, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. so so huge and powerful, but yeah, uh, I was thinking of Dorian Yates when he did one of his very first competitions. Him just was it walking out on stage? To, didn't he have like some robotic type music or something in the posing routine and seeing his back? And you're just like, oh my god, what is that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think we all agree. A really thick back. You can see mm-hmm. the power in it. You yeah. can just see it. Yeah. You don't even have to. See, you're almost don't want to see the display of what 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 yeah. it's going to do. You know, because yeah. it's it's obvious what it's going to do. Um, yeah, they have the opposite of imaginary lat syndrome. They have lat syndrome. They walk that way because they have to. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's right. <laughs> Not imaginary. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mike, so that comes to you. Um, what about over fat for you uh, and large mammal? Either one. Yeah. I mean, again, I think it goes back to, you know, context. What are you trying to do? What are you trying to get better at? Um, obviously, even at a professional level, I think if you've watched, say, the NFL long enough, like you used to 10, maybe 15 years ago, you'd see some linemen who had, you know, pretty big bellies on them and obviously extremely athletic. But now you don't see that quite so much anymore. You see a few, but not 
not like you used to. I mean, I think you see a lot more people who are just as powerful but a little bit uh, leaner. So I think even in sports where mass is rewarded, and obviously, like Phil said, you're trying to, you know, bigger mass you have, it's going to be probably harder for you to be moved around. Even in some of those sports, I think it's kind of changed a little bit over time. Um, I mean, just me as an example, I did a just recreational uh, strongman thing a couple of years ago. So I got up to 245, like on purpose. I was, you know, pretty kind of fat, I would say, at that point. I wasn't sleeping a lot, trying to finish my PhD. But the cutoff was, because it was just an intro meet locally, uh, either 220 above or 220 and below. Okay. So it's like, okay, you're either, you know, and I wasn't, well, I'm not going to cut down to 220 in a matter of four months, so screw it. I might as well go up. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I go kiteboarding, people are like, oh, my gosh, if you weigh over, like, 220 pounds, that, that's like a big load. Yeah. I'm like, that's not that big at all, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But if you have to move that amount of mass around, then it, it does make a difference. And so I think what I tell even with clients, it's like, okay, if you're trying to gain, let's say, lean body mass, right, what ratio is going to be okay for you? You're going to gain some fat. If you try to stay incredibly lean, you're just not going to gain enough mass. No, you're not. You know, if if I'm going up in weight, if I could even hit a one-to-one ratio, oh, man, that's that's super exciting. In reality, it's probably a one-to-two ratio, you know, one pound of lean body mass for every two Mm -hmm. pounds of fat. Yeah. But it's much harder for me to gain lean body mass. So I probably have to overshoot a little bit and then kind of come back down. Um, where other people, you know, they can do one to one and they'll they'll be okay. So again, I think it's context specific on you know what you're trying to do. And people always forget too, what are your goals, right? Everybody is like, well, I just want to be bigger and leaner. Like, yeah. well, we can do that over the course of a year, but it's gonna be really hard to do those at the same time. Right. So you're gonna kind of have to pick one for a little while and. Yeah, you're probably going to have to be okay being a little bit fatter for a while. You know, yeah. if you want to get to this goal of adding 10 pounds of lean body mass, yeah. you know, so that gets into the whole mentality of are you okay doing that for a period of time and can you stay on track? Yeah, no, it's interesting you bring up like the NFL too. And I would say the same thing. And it's 100% true how they've changed some. Now you're seeing like linemen run four seven forties, oh, but uh, <laughs> but it's changed the same in powerlifting with the re- resurgence of raw lifting. Gone is the day Definitely. of the huge sloppy super heavyweight. Yes, because it used to be you know in the gear you could shove two hundred pounds of potatoes in a hundred pound bag and get, <laughs> get get more weight lifted. But now even the supers are in much better shape. You know, yeah. just uh, for compare comparatively. So yeah. Like uh, I'm trying to, th- I think that still sticks in the public's mind. You know, like uh, what was his name, Alexiev on the cover of Sports Illustrated or something. These guys that are, don't get me wrong, they're large mammals, but they're also they're pretty fat by modern standards. Oh yeah, you know, kind of thing. But um, what about large mammal, Mike? Before we wrap up here, what's a oh, large mammal? Because I'm interested I... in your take. Because you're tall, you're a big dude too. You know, and so what's big to you? I don't know. It's weird because, like, I, you know, being taller, I guess, always gives you the appearance of being bigger. Although I don't think I'm that big per se, because other people I know who are big are like much bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, the one guy was at the NSCA conference. He's pretty funny. He comes up. I met him. He's like, "Oh, well, you're bigger in person than I thought. Everyone else looks smaller in person." <laughs> <laughs> Because if, you know, like the kind of bodybuilding illusion, you see competitors on stage, you're like, that guy looks huge. And yes. 
you meet yeah. some of them in person, you're like, well, they're not really that big in street clothes. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, to me, I think anyone that's, you know, 250, 300 and on up. I mean, I was at the Arnold and, you know, seeing some of the professional uh, strongman, some of the, you know, people even competing in grip sport, you see a lot more variation there too. But, you know, to stand next to someone like, you know, Brian Shaw and Hawthorne and those guys, it's just, it's it's just like another species. I mean, like mm-hmm. the, the, the size of their wrists are like bigger than my femur bone, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's just the, the features and everything are just, just, yeah, it's another world. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's another thing. We got, we got to come back to the bubble we live in. Like, oh, I am totally. regularly around. The normal person I'm hanging around is, like, the Jim Windlers, the Mark Bells. The, so I'm just really used to being the average person I hang out with is, like, 260. Yeah. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So yeah. To, be a, to be a large mammal, you need to be, like, 410. <laughs> you know? Okay, right. So, I mean, that's it's just, you know, like you said, Eddie Cohn. And Ed's, Ed's big in a different way because right. he's bigger than his stature. Right. Yeah. He's just he's, very compact. I look at him yeah, and I go, there's got, a lot of muscle on that frame. <laughs> he's got he's got feet and hands that just don't fit his yeah. body and you know, so yeah. But Yeah, that you're right about the the whole proportions. Everything is completely getting redefined. It's almost like Phil like you're talking about like in strength when you break new or new barrier mm-hmm. psychologically that thousand pound squat impossibility fades away you know yeah. and it's almost like this like when i hear stuff like 400 is the new 300 that'll give yeah. you pause like yeah and then you shake their hands it, like well you guys are saying like mike meet them in person shake their catcher's mitt hand yeah yeah and exactly. you're like oh my god i'm just i i'm yeah. a, i'm a rodent by comparison <laughs> yes exactly you know yeah. yeah. At the Arnold, I got to meet Mark Felix, you know, multiple times strongman competitor, a super nice guy, mm-hmm. um, still very big, but in street clothes at the Arnold, he doesn't really stand out too much, even though he's a big dude. But you shake his hands, his hands are huge. Like his thumb muscle is, it's it's insane. I mean, he can almost wrap, a, you know, a two-inch diameter. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously he's competed in strongman and grip and just destroyed tons of people in competition. We were hanging out with some of the guys who are from Finland who are competing in grip sport, and they were so funny. The one guy is, like, pointing to the thumb on normal people, and he goes, no muscle. Because what is wrong with these people? They have no muscle. And he points to this other competitor, and we're like, yeah, it looks like a chicken thigh is in his hand. Right. His thumb muscle is just huge. Yes. He's like, that's muscle. Right. <laughs> When the Fenar eminence is the size of a double chicken breast, right? Yeah, that's what it looked like. Yeah. You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. All right. Well, we're not going to get to the rest of it. Maybe we'll revisit this. We're going to have a guest next week, everybody. Um, but there's some other fun terms on this list that we can talk about. Um and we probably will, you know, like I said, yeah. just from a purely gym talk episode. And then it's fun for listeners, I think, to to think to yourselves, right? Like, what's a large mammal to me? Or how do I define over fat, you know, and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that? I think it's good to get, you know, some ballpark, even if it's your own bias. What's your opinion on this stuff? Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's useful for, for your own goals, too, you know, yeah. because it's everyone's going to have their own goal of, you know, what they're trying to do. And I think it's useful to spend a little bit of time and thought thinking about what that is and how it applies. And if you're trying to do something, what are the other people who have done the thing you want to do? What do they look like? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I can give you a hint as to what direction you need to go. Like yeah. you guys are saying, what standard do you hold yourself to? Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Good, Good stuff. All right, Bye. guys. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good. Uh, knee sleeves. Wraps of some kind. Things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.